Uh, Let's turn our thoughts now to God's word and to the message here on Christmas Eve Sunday. Um, As I was thinking about what to preach for Christmas Eve, uh, there are many different ways that you can approach a Christmas Eve sermon. Uh, For example, we could talk about the historical facts of the nativity story. Did Mary actually ride on a donkey? Uh, Was there an inn that was full and they had to stay in a stable? Are those facts historically accurate, historically true? Are they biblical? We could talk about the historical facts of the nativity story. Or we could talk about the reliability of the Bible as a historical source. The Bible tells us the Christmas story in a couple of different places in the Gospels. Um, Is the Bible historically accurate? Is it reliable? And we could talk about different studies and historical studies and archaeological findings that prove the historicity of the Bible, and we could talk about that. Uh, Or we could look at uh, historical evidence that shows us the, the story of Jesus is true, and we could walk our way through different historical evidences for the truth of that story. But I don't think any of those are the sermon that God wanted me to preach this morning, because... Uh, Many people today are not asking, is the story of Jesus true? They're asking, is the story of Jesus good? That seems to be the shift that's happened in our culture over the last uh, 30 or 40 years or so. Uh, We're not asking, is Christianity true? Is the Bible true? Is God true? We're asking, is Christianity good? Is the Bible good? Is God good? Is the story of Jesus good? And once we see that the story is good, then we say, well, is it true? So what I want to do this morning, instead of focusing on is the story true, I want to ask, is God good? Because I think that's the question that all of us wrestle with, especially during the holidays. Is God good? We've been in a series uh, where we're talking about how God impacts the world through our relationships with one another And last week, we saw how God sent the prophet Elijah out of his way to another country just so that God could save the lives of a widow and her son. And that's the kind of God that we saw. He saved the lives of of people in the Old Testament. Today, we're going to see how God saved the life of someone from our own church family. And so as you're watching Justin's story, I want you to notice how many times he mentions family and church throughout his testimony. Because the emphasis in our series that we've been in this Christmas season is that God will work through our relationships to give life, to sustain life, and to save life. And so let's watch Justin's story. I wish it didn't happen the way that it did, but... Because it did, hopefully he can use me. So, I'm Justin Freitag. This is my story. I had a really good childhood growing up. Raised going to church, uh, loving God, um, going to youth group, um, you know, always making it to church. You know, when I was 12, I got baptized, and, and I was just... I felt like I was on a path that God wanted me on. And when I got to high school, um, I had some upperclassmen kind of bring me in. And so I was, I was eager to become a part of that friend group. You know, it started out great, um, going fishing and having a good time. And then, um, you know, it started in with, you know, 
you know, the drugs and the alcohol that people were experimenting in high school. Um, so, you know, I'd party here and there with, with those friends. And after high school, I joined the service and which my family and I thought was the best decision for me at the time. But I always had, had God in my corner and really relied on him through, through those years because I felt, felt alone. Um, and he had got me through that um, ex- while I was exceeding in, in my military career, um, doing super well. Um, when I came home, um, I ended up getting into a, a duplex with a bunch of buddies from high school. At that point in time, I was still attending church regularly, seeing my family. Um, like there was no problems and everything was going going good. Um, but as it kind of progressed, um, you know, we were partying on, partying on the weekends. Um, then partying on the weekends turned into partying during the week. But I didn't really think there was any any kind of issue because um, everyone kept telling me, oh, you're, you're 21, you know, you're in college. This is what everybody does. It's okay. But, you know, I stopped going to church, stopped um, being with my family um, because I knew that they wouldn't approve of the lifestyle that I was starting to kind of grow into. And then I met a girl, um, and the relationship didn't, <laughs> it wasn't very good. And I never really understood why until now. Um, there was red flags all over the place. Um, and, you know, and I, I try to get my drinking under control um, and try to f- mend that relationship, but there was no forgiveness on her end either. And my parents always told me, well, if she's not a follower of Jesus Christ, that she doesn't have the capability of having that forgiveness and that grace that Jesus has for us. But I just shrugged it off. I didn't know any better. So, um, but that relationship kind of went down in flames pretty quick after a couple of years. Um, when that ended, <clears throat> I was drinking very heavily. I was drinking probably every day. Um, I was drinking probably like around 30, 30 beers a night um, during the week. Um, but still making it to work and, um, the only things I wasn't making it to were family events, birthdays, um, holidays. I was basically just kind of pushed my family to the side. Um, I started, um, dabbling into like cocaine and... It was more so because the drinking didn't really hold the effect that it once did anymore. And I'm like, oh, I can drink way more while using this drug 
Um, and um, so then I, I started using like just on the weekends casually. Um, and I didn't think, still didn't think that there was anything wrong, anything going wrong. Um, I then met another girl, her name's Maddie. And um, I met her through the army. We were fun, having fun going out and, and she was young. So she thought that that was normal. Um, but my drinking got even worse because of the drugs that I was using. Um, I, like, I was pretty much pushing everybody away. And I didn't think I was pushing her away, but at about two years into our relationship, she finally said that she had had enough. Um, I stopped going to work. Um, I would just drink all day. Um, I had an apartment that I was paying for um, and that she was paying for mostly at that point because I wasn't working. And she decided to move. And so she moved to Baraboo and um, I was in that apartment alone. And um, I had loved this girl very, very much. And um, I didn't have anyone to call, you know? I didn't feel like I could call my family because this has been now four years down the road that that I had just pushed everybody away. Um, so I just sat in that apartment and I didn't work and I drank and used drugs. Um, one of the nights I ended up in the ER from, from all of the drug use. Um, I was driving and uh, I had to call the ambulance because I, I couldn't move my body. Um, and so when I was sitting in that apartment after a couple weeks, like I was running out of money and I had maybe a couple hundred dollars and I would walk down to Quick Trip and buy alcohol. And it got to the point when I had no money, I was searching through my truck for change to go feed my addiction that I had because I felt alone and I didn't have anywhere to turn, I felt. Um, I was so far away from God that I felt like I, like there was a black wall. Um, and at, at that point when I had ran out of all my money and I couldn't buy any more alcohol or drugs. I decided that I, I didn't want to be on this earth anymore. Um, so it was like 6.30 at night. And I decided I was going to fill up the bathtub and electrocute myself. And I was on my way over there when I just like felt the presence of God. 
and I just dropped everything that I was doing. And he said to me that he's not done with me yet. And I didn't know to be, if I was to be happy or angry because I had felt so alone for so long and I wanted him in my life, but I felt that I was so far beneath his grace that he couldn't save me. And uh, so that night I just sat on the floor because I had no furniture in the apartment. And I cried. And then my sister showed up with my dad the next day. And I don't know why, because I didn't call them. And they wanted me to get help. And still I was reluctant. But finally I went and I uh, stayed with my family. Um, and that wasn't easy either. Um. Uh, but I, I did know that I was still, I, God had a plan for me, even though I wasn't doing what he had wanted me to do. Um, so, you know, between the battles of, of my addiction um, and getting help, um, it was months and months of just trying to figure out, you know, how to get me help. Um, but it, it started with going to church and being surrounded by people that feared God and um, helped me go in the right direction. Um, and so then I went off to treatment and came out just like so clear headed that like God was with me through all of it and I didn't even see it, you know? Um, obviously I made all those decisions, but he had never left. I just couldn't see him and um, so through the, through the battle of treatments and getting help, I really relied on him and re-put my faith and trust in him. And, um, I mean, I was going to AA meetings and I saw people time and time again, just relapse and relapse and relapse. And I just couldn't understand why, but... None of them believed in God. None of them had a, a relationship with him. And like I was, it almost started to seem easy for me to just, you know, if I kept my eyes on him, like I could just keep moving forward and leave everything behind. It didn't, it didn't matter anymore. Um, and I just, like I prayed just for strength and wisdom and courage and and he gave me all those things and 
I didn't have a job still. Um, and so I was praying for about a week for a job. And I didn't even apply to this job. And my dad got a phone call. And the owner asked if, if I was busy or if I could come work. And it was just like, God just put that right there in my lap. And I don't know, I just feel as though that I'm not the only person that this happens to. And I know that I'm not the only person in our church family um, or, or people in our church family that has family that is going through the same struggles as I am. And um, I just want to tell you my story to encourage everybody that, that God is faithful no matter what. And he, he comes through for everybody. This is the God that we celebrate at Christmas, and he gives the gift of life. Saved Justin's life, totally turned his life around. At Christmas time, we give gifts to one another, and I want us to look in John chapter 3, verse 16, to see the gift that God gives to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This morning on Christmas Eve, as we reflect on the gift of God's one and only son that he gave because he loves, I want us to ask the question, what does it mean to believe? Because look at how many times the word believe appears in this passage. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is already condemned because they have not believed. So what does it mean to believe in him? When the Gospel of John says to believe in him, what is it talking about? Does it mean to believe in Jesus the way that we often believe in Santa Claus at Christmas? That we just believe that he's real? And hope that it's true. And if we believe hard enough, the magic happens. That makes for a good Christmas story. Makes for a terrible eternity. In our society, self-proclaimed experts, academics and philosophers and sociologists with fancy letters after their name, who've published peer-reviewed journal articles and books, have taken it upon themselves to define faith for us. But we should note that these sociologists and philosophers will admit to you and tell you that they themselves do not have faith. They say, we don't have faith, we're not people of faith, but here's what faith is. And they've redefined faith as belief without evidence. But my response to that is, if you don't have faith, I don't care if you have PhD after your name and a book deal. 
You cannot define my faith. You don't have faith, so stop telling me what my faith is. I think it's time that those of us who say we do have faith recover the meaning of faith. We're the ones with faith, so we're the ones that get to define it. Actually, the Bible defines it. Faith in the Bible is not belief without evidence. And my faith in Jesus Christ is not belief without evidence. There's plenty of evidence that God exists, and we could talk about that if we wanted to, but faith in the Bible is belief as trust. And that's what we need to get back to, and that's what we need to recover as people of faith. And stop letting others without faith define it for us, but rather faith is belief as trust. And that's the question that I want us to, to think about this morning. Do we trust God? If you go back and reread John 3.16 and you put the word trust in where it says believe, because that's what it means, it opens up this passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever trusts in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever trusts in him is not condemned, but whoever does not trust stands condemned already because they have not trusted in the name of God's one and only son. When we understand what belief in the Bible means, it means trust. It helps us understand what this passage is talking about. The message of the Bible, the message of the gospel is not close your eyes and in spite of any lack of evidence, really try hard to believe that it's true and you'll have eternal life. The message of the Bible is trust God. That's the message of the gospel. Trust God and if you trust him, you will have eternal life and you will receive forgiveness for your sins and victory over death. So that's the question that I want us to reflect on this morning on Christmas Eve. Do you trust God? I didn't ask if you believe the stories are true or if you believe the Bible is real or if you believe that God exists in some far away distant universe. The question is, do you trust God? And if not, will you trust God? Will you trust the God who sends his prophets to different countries just to save the lives of widows and their children. That's what we saw last week in 1 Kings 17. Will you trust the God who stands in as a father to the fatherless, to the orphan, to the abandoned? Will you trust the God who is a defender of widows, who is an advocate for those who have no advocate? who speaks up for those who cannot speak up for themselves? Will you trust the God who defends the oppressed, who sets the captives free, who sets the lonely in families? Will you trust him? Will you trust the God who saved a young man from this church family from suicide, alcoholism, and drugs? Will you trust the God who answers prayer and restores hope in the face of a cancer diagnosis? Will you trust God even if his answer is not to heal your cancer but to walk with you through the cancer? Will you trust God in that circumstance? Will you trust the God who brings comfort to someone who lost their mom during the holidays? This is the God that we serve. Will you trust the one 
God who sent his one and only son to save the world from sin and death? Will you trust the God who became a man and gave his life on the cross to save your life? Do you trust God? Let's look at those verses from John 3 one more time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever trusts in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever trusts in him is not condemned. Whatever does not trust stands condemned already because they have not trusted in the name of God's one and only son. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, for giving your one and only son that we might be saved from sin and death. Lord Jesus, that you became a human being born on that first Christmas day as one of us in our place, taking our sin upon yourself and nailing it to the cross so that we could be forgiven and set free, so that people like Justin could be saved And his story relates to all of us because in some way, all of us have sinned. All of us have been enslaved to some form of sin, whether it's alcohol or cocaine or gluttony or hate or violence or selfishness or lying or whatever it is. In some way, all of us have been enslaved to sin and all of us need to be set free and forgiven. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming and doing that for us on the cross. And I pray that people here and maybe those listening on the live stream would really stop for a moment and ask, do I trust you? And that through your Holy Spirit, you would call us to place our trust, our faith, our belief in you. And that you would call us and enable us through your Holy Spirit to walk in a relationship with you, trusting you at every step. And when we forget to trust you, no matter how far away we wander, that you would remind us it's one step back. You never left us. You'll never forsake us or abandon us because you are a faithful God who can be trusted. We pray these things and thank you for your love and your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.